Hi, I'm Adam Gratton, and welcome to this, the latest episode of the Way We Weird podcast. This time around, I'm going to bring you the second in the three-part series looking at D-Day 75 years on. In the previous episode, I spoke to Jim Wilde. This time around, we're going to hear from Norman Lewis, who, at 99 years of age, served in the Royal Engineers and was part of the British Expeditionary Force and was tasked with a rearguard action of delaying the German advances towards Dunkirk. As a result, he was captured and became a prisoner of war. Norman then spent five years as a POW until his camp was liberated by the Russians in January 1945. This was to be the start of a 10,000 mile journey which would take him home through Poland to Odessa, Turkey, Egypt, and finally, back to his family in Stoke-on-Trent. So, go grab yourself a cuppa, and join me and the Way We Wear podcast in paying our respects to those who served during D-Day and World War II 75 years on. So, Norman, you're 99, going to be 100 this year. In August, as it falls in line the same year, 75 years since um, D-Day, Normandy landings. Tell us about your life and your experiences. My birthday's in August. I was an ex-Royal Engineer. I joined the Army in May 1939. I went training three times a week, two hours a night, and a fortnight's camp in August at Monmouth. Came home for a fortnight and in September the war started. I was called up and I was transferred to Birmingham. From there I was in France in October 1939. Came home in March for 10 days leave, went back and Hitler started his funny games as you might say. And I was in France from October until June 1940. 1940, June, six REs, myself included, were ordered to go and blow a bridge up just south of Rouen. We didn't know anything about Dunkirk, no one had told us. We went to the bridge, it had already been mined by the regulars. They handed the bridge over to us and they got onto a lorry and they drove away. We sat there and we had orders to blow the bridge at 4 a.m. Saturday morning. At half past three, an officer who we didn't know came to us and told us not to blow the bridge at four o'clock, but wait until seven. At half past six, he came back again and ordered us not to blow the bridge at seven o'clock, wait until nine o'clock. At half past eight, he turned up again and said, don't do the bridge at nine o'clock, wait until the enemy appear. So there we sat, six of us, waiting for the Germans to arrive. The refugees were all going past earlier on and it got slower and slower until there was not the road was empty. About half ten, three German tanks turned up around the bend. We attempted to blow the bridge, but somebody had sabotaged it. Now, my own thoughts are that that British officer was a German because I can't see a, a British officer stopping us from doing our job. We got to, we, uh, Royal, uh, and 
an infantry sergeant came across the field and said we were to get out of the area because he would set the fuse which we got. The fuse went up and the bridge went up and we crawled away from the area being shot at all the way up the hill. Part way up the top of the hill there was a group of soldiers firing over our heads at the bridge and we thought they were friendly and they shouted to us to come on Tommy come over here so we went across to them when we got closer we realized they were Germans we tried to get away but we were ambushed they were all around us a bit of a skirmish went on and one of the lads got shot and after a few minutes I felt a, a prod in back of my neck in plain English saying stand up for you the war is over he stripped me of all my, my of, of my rifle and my ammunition, etc., and left me with my water bottle and Westbridge and tin hat. And then marched the five hours to a, a ditch where he was setting up a machine gun to shoot us. Just seconds from pulling the trigger, a German officer came walking down the road and stopped him. Now, I think that German officer was the one who stopped us blowing the bridge up honestly. He told us to get out of the ditch and to go behind the German lines and we walked from Saturday morning till Wednesday night with no food and no drink. I collapsed on the Wednesday night. It was boiling hot weather. My mates helped me along the, along the road because those falling down were being shot and where they stopped that night it was near a hospital. The staff came out of the hospital to check the sick saw me lying on the floor and they took me to hospital. I never saw my friends again except one at the end of the war. But they went to Germany and I eventually ended up in Poland. After a week in hospital I was myself and about four more British soldiers were taken out of the hospital to go to another one. But that other one turned out to be a line of 2,000 prisoners. I was shoved in the lineup and I started to walk. And I walked from France to Holland, 30 miles a day, most days with nothing to eat and nothing to drink. Those falling out were shot because the Germans wouldn't carry them. And when I got to Holland, we were packed into coal barges. We were packed that tight that we couldn't sit down. We were wedged, they, they closed the hatch. It was total darkness. We were in there for three days and three nights. Some of them died. There was dysentery, vomiting, everything you could think of. It, it smelled horrible. If you wanted a drink of water, the crew would sell you a bottle of water for a gold wedding ring. After three days and three nights in there, we walked through Germany for a day, and then they put us into, onto cattle trucks. We were on there for another three days and three nights and ended up in Poland at a place called Thorn. In between Thorn and we were in between Warsaw and, and Danzig. I was there for five years. For two and a half years I worked in the main camp, which was which were, there was 23 and a half thousand prisoners. Our meals were no, no breakfast, a bowl of soup at dinner time and a, a round of bread at night. And that was it. We were lousy, got lice, we were dirty, we couldn't wash properly. The sleeping compartments were 60 men to a platform. 
which was three tiers high, and there was 20 men to each platform. Those on the top were, were, were lucky because the lice and the dirt dropped through the boards onto those below. I was there for two and a half years working in the sawmill because I was a joiner and I didn't mind doing that work because it was making beds and huts for the other prisoners coming in. They did tell us first when we arrived that we'd got to work for the Germans and they told us that uh, the lads said, no, I'm not working for no Jerry. But they said, if you don't work, you don't eat. So after three days without any food, you worked. But you had to do a day's work first. That's it. But they took our British uniforms off us. They gave us Polish uniforms, no underwear, uh, no boots. We had wooden clogs to wear with foot rags around our feet. We had no hair on our head, it was all shaven off. They gave us a blanket. We hadn't got any palliasses to sleep on because they were lice-ridden. Lice, lice and we slept on bare boards. And after two and a half years, I was chosen to go on a, another working party with another, 20, another 19 prisoners. The, the other party turned out to be a farm party, which I didn't mind because I had a bit more freedom on that. And for, I went the following day with all the others to the main square and the farmers were picking out the prisoners that they wanted to work for. They asked if anybody could make us was a stall marker and I thought they asked for somebody who could make a stall. I was a joiner so I put my hand up and he took me. But it's, what he wanted was a wheelwright and I didn't know anything about making wagon wheels or anything else and he was very annoyed. But he, but he calmed down after the German guards told him that he'd signed for me and that he, that he was rubbered with me. But uh, for two and a half years on the farm, I was taught everything from harvesting to slaughtering to the lot. Well, everything done by hand. I was on my own, there was nobody else working with me. And uh, as I say, I was taught everything. After two and a half years, we could hear the gunfire from the Russian front approaching. And the Germans got panicky. They all packed their wagons up and they drove away. The guards lined us up. They were going to get rid of us, shoot us. But one of the guards talked them out of it and said, no, let them live because they've been prisoners five years. And they locked us in the prison and they threw the key away. And we could see them running across the January snows over, 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 over the field and they vanished. After, after a couple of hours or so, the Poles came and said all the Germans had, had left the area and they broke the door down. And we hid for three days and three nights while a battle went on around us. When we came out of hiding, the Russians were in, in charge. They, they questioned us and then they uh, agreed that we were British. They tore a, a, a piece of paper out of a, a notebook, put some writing on it and told us to make our way to Warsaw. I think it was 175 miles away in the January snow and it was deep snow. We said, which, which way is Warsaw? They pointed that cross there. We hadn't got a map. We only got a compass. We got very little food, but we, we started off. The first day we covered four miles 
the second day we came to the main road and the lorries were going past to empty and the others were going the other way laden with ammunition and we stood by the road with our thumbs up trying to get a lift and they kept sailing past till a, a Russian soldier came across to us and said what are you trying to do? We said you're trying to get a lift. He says well that means carry on. Thumbs down means stop. <laughs> the first one stopped, put us on board and took us to Warsaw. At the end of Warsaw we were uh, picked up by some freedom fighters who questioned us and then made us sit in the corner of a, a, a cellar, gave us a drink and some food and said in the morning we were going to the Russian headquarters. Next day we went down there, they questioned us again, then they asked to give us some paper and we were told to write down everything we could about our hometown, our avenues, our neighbours, our shops and word came back I was telling the truth. And after about five or six days, word came back that we were all right. And they took us down to the main square, all of us. There's about 200 prisoners now, Americans and Canadians. And they called us all out one by one, except for about a batch of about 20, who we think were Germans, disguised. They took us down to the railway line, put us on a, a freight train with food, water and straw to sleep on fire in the middle of the car of the wagon and we set off and we were traveling for six days and six nights until we got to Odessa on the Black Sea. From Odessa we went to Turkey, from Turkey we went to Egypt, from Egypt I went to Italy, from Italy I went to Gibraltar and then I come home. <laughs> I covered over 10,000 miles in three months. When I got to Egypt, they told me I got five years back pay to pick up. And I've got a nice house now. On arriving home in Liverpool, they took me down to south of London to Amersham. We're down there for the one night and back on the train again and back, back to Stoke-on-Trent. A taxi picked us up, picked me up and another soldier and took us to the Mir. From there, I walked down the avenue to my dad's house. I knocked on the door and the bedroom door opened, window opened, and my dad called down, who's there? I said, it's me, dad. i never seen my dad break down before. Yeah, it was ructions. On the, that was a Friday. On the following Monday, I was talking to my next door neighbor when I saw a nice bit of lady stuff going across the field. I thought that looks nice and it turned out to be the sister of the man I was talking to and I took her out that night by Wednesday I knew I was going to marry her and we got married the following year and Dorothy passed away four years ago we had 70 years together well that's it for this episode of the way we were in the meantime while you wait eagerly for the next installment be sure to check out more history, nostalgia and memories by visiting the Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire Facebook Nostalgia Group, by going to Stoke-on-Trent Live website and visiting the Way We Were page. And you can find me, Adam Gratton, on Twitter at Adam C. Gratton, on Facebook at Adam Gratton, or you can check out the pictures on Instagram at Adam C. Gratton. Thanks for listening.